Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. We are in 1 Corinthians, and we are entering chapter 3, okay? So, yeah, we're moving right along. So go ahead and turn there, have your notes ready. In chapter 2, we talked a lot about this topic of wisdom. And what Paul was teaching the church in Corinth was that God extended to them wisdom through his son Jesus Christ, through the word of God, and through the Holy Spirit. And we as believers in Jesus Christ have access to mysteries and information and knowledge that no other believer before Christ ever had access to. The Old Testament saints didn't have an understanding of of who Christ was and the mystery of the church. And we've been invited into something very, very special. And God has extended to us a type of wisdom that is unique specifically to the church. That's what he's given us. And it's a real privilege to be able to know Jesus Christ, to be indwelled by his spirit, and to walk in the truth of his word, a completed book. You understand? We have a completed word of God, and we can know exactly what God's mind is towards us. That's that's incredible. And and we shouldn't take that for granted. The church in Corinth uh, had kind of gotten mixed up, right? Because wisdom was a hot topic in Corinth and in Grecian society. And they had kind of forgotten or didn't understand fully what it meant to find their wisdom in Christ alone. Now here's the thing about about wisdom. Here's the thing about the knowledge that God has extended to us. Is that we can absolutely 100% neglect it. Alright? And so even though it's been gifted to us, we can in our lives reject it by our behavior and our approach to who God is. We We can reject the wisdom that God has extended to us. And and by doing that, we fail uh, to enter into the path of growth that God has given us. And so today, we're going to be talking about the dynamics of spiritual growth. And by dynamics, what we mean is something that is moving within a pattern or a framework. So Paul is going to provide us with principles for understanding how God moves in us and we move within a framework to live out the wisdom that he's extended to us. Okay, so let me put it this way. This is an easy example. Most of us took roads and highways to get here this morning, right? That's a framework that you were moving within. And, And thank God for those highways and thank God for those roads that someone else paved for you, right? I don't think any of us paved the roads that we took today, right? That was a framework that was given to us So that we, within that framework, we could drive our cars, okay, we could accelerate, we have the ability to move our car from one lane to the next, engage in the traffic, right, deal with other people, obey the the laws of the road, right, follow the rules of the road, hopefully you guys did that. I bet Micah sped a little bit. I know Micah, just a little bit. There's grace, grace. But hopefully you are abiding by the rules and you as a, you know, since you were 16, you know how to drive. <clears throat> Hopefully. And you, you moved within the framework that had been extended to you. Now, in a very similar manner, uh, we have a framework here at Midtown Baptist Temple. Okay, we have a frame, framework that we refer to as the path of growth. You can see the big sign in the lobby 
that we want people to understand. Because here at our church, we've, we've established a framework over decades of ministry. We recognize that discipleship is a process that exists for us within a particular framework. If you went to another church, it might be a different framework of discipleship. But we believe that, that this is the one that works for us, and it's, it's the most biblical as we see it. And so any person that's saved, that knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they came to a saving faith, and they attend this church, we, we really promote following within this framework, okay? And so that starts with the cost of discipleship, which is just a weekend class where you go and you hear what it's going to cost you to follow Jesus Christ. It's not a very easy or simple proposition, Okay, there's sacrifices that have to be made along the way if you're going to choose to follow Christ. And, and here's the deal. Uh, the Gospels distinguish between the people that followed Christ around to hear him speak and the actual disciples that followed him uniquely in relationship with him, that followed his teachings. And so, so what we're saying by inviting people to the cost of discipleship is, hey, don't just be a pew sitter. Don't just be a person who attends church and says that you're a Christian. Go deeper than that. We want to invite you in to the pursuit of Jesus Christ as a lifestyle that we might contribute to making you a minister of Jesus Christ. Come follow along with us. That starts with the cost of discipleship, and then you begin discipleship, and we pair you with a mentor and someone who's been following Christ for a while, and they make a one-on-one -on -one investment with you in God's Word, teaching you the doctrines of our faith, the foundational doctrines of our faith, and then praying with you and, and learning about you and counseling with you and working through issues of your life. And so you have someone that's pouring into you in a one-on-one -on -one mentorship-style relationship that lasts sometimes uh, nine months to a year or so. But it doesn't stop there. Okay? There is more. At that point, you've integrated your life into the body of Christ, and now you don't just have one mentor. You have many mentors. You have Bible study leaders. You have pastors, that, and you live and you function within the body of Christ, and you see yourself as a member of the body. Okay, You are a contributor. A contrib contributor. You're a person who exists in tandem with these other believers, and the mission is not their mission, and it's not God's mission. It's your mission. And so at that point, you take D2 because you want to learn to, to be a leader yourself, right? It's not good enough for you to just follow along. You want to lead other people and invite them into this same exact process of discipleship. And over time, that turns into a full-blown LFBI uh, learning and getting educated and growing and going on missions trips. And it just expands. The horizons expand. Your vision expands. And the calling on your life becomes more and more unique. And you, uh, over time, become the person that God has gifted you to be. And you can exercise your gifting freely. And we want to give you principles so that you can go out and minister. And that's the, that's the path of growth here at Midtown Baptist Temple in a four-minute presentation. Okay? That's it. And that's what we want for every single person who knows Jesus Christ and calls Midtown Baptist Temple home. But just the, the fact that there is a framework and there is a path of growth does not mean that people are actually going to grow. And today, we're going to ask ourselves, how do we ensure our spiritual development will be healthy and unhindered for the entirety of our lives? How are we going to do that? That's what we're studying today. That's the dynamic of spiritual growth. Let's pray. Let's ask that the Lord would be with us. So there's going to be some hard words today. Can I warn you of that in advance? It's going to be hard. Some of it's going to be hard. We have to ask ourselves really serious personal questions. So 
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we know that you're here with us, that your word is present, um, Lord, that, that, you know, to the best of, of my ability and in the guidance of your spirit, Lord, I've studied this passage, I've sought to know what it means, I've compared scripture with scripture, and Lord, I believe you've given me a word. That doesn't mean that I can't get in the way, and so Lord, I pray you would put me aside, uh, that my flesh would not get in the way, that my opinions wouldn't get in the way, Lord, but I would simply preach at the same tone and the same tenor that you would want me to preach, Lord, that I would say the words that you would desire me to say in order to provoke this body of young believers to follow you with everything that they have. So God, help us. Be with us. Have your way in the authority and the loving power of Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's begin by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you, unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are, not, are, ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not Carnal. Now you remember from verse 4, that, that takes us back to the first chapter. This is a topic that we're going to continue to look at, was this fact that they were divided over personalities in the church. They had little micro-cultures, little tribes that had de- developed around personalities and leaders in the church. And what had happened is it had caused division among the church members. We're going to come back and hit on that quite a bit as we go uh, through the next couple of chapters, in fact. But let's start here with this first verse and this idea that that our maturity is a really big deal to God. And asking ourselves the very, very personal question today of am I actually maturing in my faith, that's, that's of critical importance for us. And so you don't need to think about anyone else today. You don't need to think about your Bible studies. You don't need to think about the people that you know in this room. You don't need to be thinking about the people sitting next to you. You need to be thinking in a very personal way, am I actually maturing? Am I actually growing? Not have you been growing? Not what things look like a year ago? I'm talking about in this moment, are you a Christian that's growing in your faith? And in order to assess if you are mature or not, Paul provides us with some important insight. Let's start by looking closely at this first verse and this statement that he makes. He says, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal. And so what does that mean? What does that mean? Paul's expressing here that his ability to teach and to lead the church in Corinth relies solely on their ability to respond rightly to the teaching. That the onus is actually on them. It's not on him. Because he's made efforts repeatedly, time and time again, to offer them the deep things of God's word, to teach them, But at the end of the day, it falls on them to receive it. I mean, there's some of you that have been attending Kaya for quite some time. I mean, I know there's visitors and there's people from all different backgrounds here today. Maybe this is your first time. Welcome to Kaya. Okay. Uh, But there are a lot of people that have been attending for quite some time. And you sit in here and you hear teaching week after week. And the honest truth is, you know, and this is just between you and the Lord. You have to ask yourself about this. The honest truth is... It's probably, for some of us, it's fallen on deaf ears. 
Because there hasn't been any spiritual response that would say that you're actually willing to grow, that you're willing to change, that you're willing to give up things to follow Christ. And he tells them he can't, that he can't address them as spiritually mature believers, but he has to address them as weak believers. He has to treat them a particular way. His hands have been tied. They have chosen carnality, and that carnality has hindered his ability to trust them with the ministry and to teach them everything he wants to teach. That's tough. Those are tough words. Now, this word carnal is sometimes translated in your New Testament as, as fleshly, okay? Carnal is a, it's a gross word, isn't it? Carnal, right? Fleshly. These are disgusting words, okay? Um, but what they mean is, is really, really important. See, someone that's carnal is someone who acts in their own self-interest. And that's the easiest, the most simple definition, at least in the context today, is that it's someone who's functioning in their own self-interest. They're, they're, they're governed by their own human nature and not by God's nature. Now, I want you to understand that this is really, that it's really easy to convince yourself that you're actually developing spiritually or that you're mature. It's really easy to lie to yourself and tell you yourself that because you're doing this or that or because of these circumstances or because you do this thing, that you are somehow spiritually mature. And then we just take that for granted and then we just function believing that we're doing okay. And so I want to I take a moment here to address the misnomers of spiritual maturity. Can we do that real quick? Because there's several of them. And so the, the very first one, and I, these are misconceptions that we all have about our spiritual maturity. The very first one I want to address is this. Spiritual maturity is not measured by age. It's not, it's not measured by your age or stage in life, you understand? You know, there, there's often a correlation between age and godly wisdom, right? I mean, I think that we can look at the body of Christ here at 40th and Walnut and Midtown Baptist Temple, and we can say to ourselves that as a whole, when we look at people's ages and developmental stages, we, we can say to ourselves that, that people that are older and have been in the faith for a particular amount of time, that they are more mature. But that, that, doesn't, that doesn't always Work That generalization doesn't always work. Sometimes you have older people that are new to the faith. Maybe they just accepted Jesus Christ. Okay, maybe they're 40 or 50 years old and they just accepted Jesus Christ. And, and as far as God is concerned, they're babes in the faith. They're babies. And, and they're going to learn at the exact same developmental stages that any other person would. doesn't matter, you know, what age you are. Or maybe, you know, a lot of times for older people, what happens is they get married, they have kids, they get distracted, and the growth that was once in them or that zeal that once existed to know more about who God is, it slowly fizzles out. They get distracted and their maturity gets stunted, right? That happens. It happens in everybody's lives, but it can happen in older people's lives too. And so what you have is a, is a dynamic within the church that says that God isn't concerned with age as it, as it addresses the issue of maturity. He's concerned with whether or not someone's pursuing him. And we get mixed up on that. We, a lot of times we'll look to older people and we'll think, we'll assume that they're wise, and they aren't always. And, and here's the thing. Let's talk about ourselves, okay, because that's what we're doing today. Sometimes you think to yourself that because you're older, maybe you're, you're in your late 20s, all right, maybe you're 30, 
and you say to yourself, well, you know, I'm, I'm older, I've lived more life, but listen to me, your physical maturity and the fact that you pay your bills each month does not mean that you're spiritually mature. Just the fact that you've held a job down for, good, good job. We, I mean, we want you to be physically, emotionally mature individuals, but the fact that you ha- can hold a job down or you've worked up the business ladder and, and there's certain things that you're doing, you're providing food, that doesn't necessarily equate to spiritual maturity. You know, Paul talks uh, to Timothy about this idea in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He's, he's talking to him about, uh, Timothy's young at this point, and he's talking to him about this idea of how he needs to exist in a church where there's people of all different ages, right? And, uh, and, and so sometimes people would assume because of his youth that he wasn't mature. And so listen to what Paul tells him. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no man despise thy youth. Okay, don't, don't let people despise you because uh, that you're young. But listen to what he instructs him. This is what maturity looks like. Put on maturity is what he's saying. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. All of those are areas of maturity that we should and ought to exemplify if we're growing in our faith. Yeah. These are areas that will change the way that we speak, the way that we act, the way that we love on people, the way that our, that our spirit or our countenance exists within the body of Christ. These are all ways in which we can exemplify maturity, even if we're young, even if we're 18, 19, 20 years old. We can be mature believers. That is, that is if we choose to. And so here's the principle that we need to take from this first misnomer. We must always understand that our age does not entitle us to the assumption that we're mature or immature. Age has nothing to do with it. Pursuit of Christ has everything to do with it. Okay, so don't think because you're 28 and the guys in your Bible study are 21 that somehow you've got it figured out. No, we submit to one another. Okay, those, those labels, like if we're going to say that race doesn't matter in our ministry, okay, that ethnicity, that nationality doesn't matter in our ministry, right? We live and function that way, don't we? Amen? Amen. Then we also have to say that age doesn't mean anything. None of those things are signifiers of spiritual maturity. The next misnomer is this. Spiritual maturity is not measured by our activity. It's not measured by our activity, though there is often a correlation between responsibilities in ministry and maturity. It doesn't mean that the busier person in ministry is more mature than you are. There are many busy people scurrying about this church, serving in all different ways. But among those ministers, there is a wide variety of developmental stages and maturities. And we ought to know that. So never mistake spiritual work for spiritual righteousness. You know, uh, there's a story in 1 Samuel, and we won't, t- we won't tell the story, but Samuel's really mad at Saul because Saul has decided to make an an unholy sacrifice, you know, in order to appease the people, an unsanctioned sacrifice. And these are the words that Samuel makes to to respond to Saul's false piety and his busyness and his activity. Okay, listen. Verse 22 of chapter 15, it says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And so this is the thing that we need to learn. We must all understand. This is the principle. We must all understand 
that our busyness at church does not entitle us to the assumption that we are mature or immature. Don't mistake the fact that you're busy for being mature in the ministry. Here's the third misnomer. Spiritual maturity is not measured by acumen or knowledge. By how much you know. So though there is often a correlation between knowledge and maturity, it doesn't mean that we measure maturity by by a person's ability to spout theological topics or because they use big words. When I was young, I, I used to, when I first started getting discipled, someone thought it would be smart to let 19-year-old Brandon go preach in the jails. Okay? And I remember um, dreading it. Every time I had to go, every time I was scheduled to go, there was a dread. And then when I had to teach, it was just insane. It was like, I went in there, and I could only preach what I knew. It was the ABCs, Jesus loves me. That was the bit, okay? Dun-dun-dun. That was it. That's all I knew. And I did that. I did it faithfully, even though I was nervous about it. Now, the thing is, I was preaching to men that were 50, 60 years old that had found their ways into the jail for, for many various reasons. And it was interesting. One of the hardest things about it is that after I preached, they'd come up to me and they'd be like, good job, son. And then they would, they would go ahead and they would start telling me all the things that they know about the Bible. And, and they would tell me about how they're a deacon in their church. They've been serving the Lord for 50 years or whatever it is, like just giving me the spiel. And they're telling me about, you know, you, sh- you could have preached from this passage and you forgot, you know, this verse reference. And I'm like, <laughs> you stole a car last week. <laughs> like I couldn't get around that. And, and, and so here's the thing that we, we have to understand is that just because someone knows a lot about a topic, it doesn't mean they're spiritually mature. And we're going to see this concept popped up, pop up time and time again in 1 Corinthians, but here's the principle that we need to walk away with is we must all understand that finishing discipleship or taking LFBI courses does not entitle you to the assumption that you are somehow mature or immature. We don't measure maturity based on these things. And here's the key point. This is it. This is what we need to glean, is that your spiritual growth is not inevitable. It's not inevitable based on a long lifespan. It's not inevitable based on, you know, lots of life experience and physical maturity. It's not inevitable based on lifelong learning and and how many times you've taken these or that classes or books you've read. Going through discipleship doesn't guarantee maturity. LFBI doesn't guarantee maturity. In ministry involvement, it doesn't guarantee maturity. These things may promote maturity, encourage maturity, but they do not mean that you are wise or capable of advancing in your spiritual trust. 1 Corinthians 3.1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He calls them babies. I mean, 
I don't know what that meant in Corinth in the first century, but today, in a high school setting, you get punched for that. You know what I mean? Those are fighting words. You're calling somebody a baby. But they were babes, right? They were babes in the true, truest sense of the word, right? Is that they were immature, and they were incapable of doing things that mature or older people could do. They weren't preteens, right? They weren't teenagers. They weren't young adults. They were babes. And there's consequences for being a babe. You know, here's the deal. After eight years, the Corinthian church was still comprised of babies despite the fact that they were gifted. He points out in the first chapter, you guys are so gifted. I can't believe how God has gifted you. You guys have the ability to do all... You're not lacking in any spiritual gift. It's amazing. So despite the fact that they were gifted, despite the fact that they had a busy ministry, the church was growing in numbers... And despite the fact that they had some of the best teachers that are ever spoken of in the entire New Testament, despite the fact that they had all those things, they were still immature. And so despite your age or what you know or or the things that you've experienced, if you act spiritually immature, the church has to forbear you and treat you like you're immature. Like I'm obligated to treat you at the level that you've presented yourself. So, so there are consequences for being immature, and he addresses those here in verse 2. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able to bear. Right? That's the point, is that he, you are not now able to bear, and you weren't then. So when he first met them and they first started coming to Christ and he first started discipling them in the year and a half that he spent with them in discipleship, they were babes then. And now he's saying eight years later as he writes this letter, you're still babes. What's the deal? And I can't, I can't afford to feed you me. We've got to continue feeding you milk because that's where you're at. This is what he's saying. When you should have been ready for meat, I had to feed you milk. You weren't ready then and sadly you're not ready now. Now listen, I've got three kids, and I can't say that I know a whole lot about parenting. It's the wild, wild west. It's scary. Parenting is scary. Did you say amen, Harrison? (laughs) Do you have kids that I don't know about? So listen, here's one of the things, you know, I don't know a whole lot, but here's one of the things that I've learned is that you can't feed an infant steak. You know, you can't. You know why? Because they don't have teeth. Not just that, but their stomachs can't actually digest it, right? I mean, they would... Gum on it, potentially choke on it, and then once it entered their digestive tract, it would be bad news for everyone involved, okay? So, so no matter, listen to me, no matter how appealing visually a steak is to a baby, you can't feed a baby a steak, right? They have to stick to what they can digest, See, Paul's shooting straight with these guys. He's saying, look, I can't feed you the deeper things of God's word. We can't go there. 
Look, I can't give you more responsibility in ministry. I can't. Because you choke on it. I can't invest more costly resources into you than what I've already given you because you would squander them. Why? Because you don't have spiritual discernment. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto, unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. What he's saying is that these young, immature believers, they can't spiritually discern. They can't spiritually discern. And if you're unwilling to faithfully receive the things that have been entrusted to you, then how can more be given? And if you're unable to receive the things that God has extended to you, even right now in ministry and in this walk and in your life, in in this class, well, then how are we going to possibly give you responsibility to give anything to anyone else? If you can't receive, how can you give? You know what I mean? Look, no, no matter how bad... I want my four-year-old to be able to mow the lawn for me. Okay? Eloise is not strong enough to push the mower. So I don't let her mow the lawn. I mean, not to mention she would do terrible with the lines. (laughs) See, I perfected that. I perfected that. And to turn over that responsibility to her would put my... Reputation in the neighborhood in jeopardy. (laughs) But no, the the God's honest truth is if she tried to mow the lawn, she'd lose her arm. (laughs) She can't do it. She can't do it, no matter how bad I want it for her. And the truth is that same principle applies even here in this ministry. No matter how bad I want spiritual growth for you, no matter how bad I want to offer you responsibility in the ministry, no matter how bad I want there to be a hundred Bible studies in this city, we can only grow and we can only do at the rate of your development. That's how it works. Listen, Kaya, no matter how bad I want it for you, when maturity has been extended to you, No one can make you respond in faith or spiritual discernment. No one can make you do that. No one can make you. No one can make you sign up for discipleship. No one can make you, once you get into discipleship, actually be a submitted disciple. You know how terrible discipleship can be if all you ever want to do is argue with the person that's supposed to be the master in the master-apprentice relationship? When that person's been given the responsibility to sit down and teach you a better way and all you want to do is just argue with them? No no one says there's anything wrong with asking questions, but there's a lifestyle of immaturity that looks like fighting and arguing every time you sit down. What What are you supposed to... Like, how are we supposed to do anything with that? No one can make you sign up for LFBI and no one can make you grow. No one can make you faithful in your attendance. No one can make you open your Bible and read it every day. No one can make you do that, nor do we we want to make you do that. God gave you free will. But it doesn't change the fact that we desire it greatly for every person. See, Corinth was stuck in a perpetual state of immaturity. You know, in the book of Hebrews, we have a similar situation. Among the Jewish Christians of the dispersion, 
See, these are believers that had a long history in the Bible. These are believers that should have been mature at this point. They had everything they needed to grow, and yet they were stuck. And so Paul writes to them and rebukes them because he sees, he sees their lack of faith and unwillingness to change. And, it, and he says to them, look, you're stuck. Hebrews 5.12 says this. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers. In other words, at this point you should be wise and you should be leading and instructing other people. That's where you should be. Ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, meat is reserved for people who've proven themselves faithful in God's word. They're skillful. They know how it applies. They can take the word of God and they can form. Remember we talked about that matrix of wisdom? They can form that way of seeing and they see the whole world in terms of what the word of God says for the conversation of their life. That's what a mature believer does. But obviously they weren't there. Pastor Brian Clark recently made the following observation from this passage in Hebrews in the LFBI class he's teaching. This is what he says. If somebody is uninterested in church, if they're uninterested in preaching, if they are unable to minister the word to others, if someone after several years is still stuck in the basics, if someone continues to make bad decisions and land themselves in bad circumstances, the problem is most likely not other people. The problem is they are babies who refuse to grow up in the Lord. I mean, as much as you want to blame me, it's very easy to do. I recognize that. When I first started in ministry, I thought, man, people like me, I like people. This is going to be a blast. (laughs) And over time, what I realized is that people just like to hate pastors And I don't know what to do about that. I'm just being who God made me to be, and I'm up here teaching the things that God's shown me, and and I'm doing ministry the best I know how as the Holy Spirit leads me. But you know what? When you don't grow in your spiritual maturity, it's really easy to say it's the Bible study leader's fault because they don't... or whatever it is that you say about it, you know? It's the pastor's fault because he didn't give me this such and such responsibility or he doesn't trust me with blah, 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 blah. Guys, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it with you. I love you. I want you to grow. But I can't, but again, I can't make you, I can't make you grow. I can't, I can't call everybody in this ministry every week and say, are you going to Bible study this week? I heard you guys have a hangout. Are you going? Hey, did you make it? Did you make it to LFBI this weekend? Did you take your quiz? I, I can't do it. This is a decision that you have to make for yourself. And so here's my question for you is this. Is that you today? Do you sense that there's something holding you back and keeping you from maturity? Now the question is, how does that happen? How, How does it happen? What is the heart issue within a person who struggles to find that place of growth? Who doesn't have that dynamic in their walk with the Lord? And I want to point this out real quick. 
For Corinth, their immaturity was absolutely a matter of selfish choices. And so is ours. Key point. Self-focus keeps you a spiritual child. Self-focus keeps you a spiritual child. See, little kids that use a pacifier at age three or four or five, they don't actually need to. (laughs) They don't need to, and it's not like they do it because it's cool. (laughs) Right? The other five-year-olds are judging them. (laughs) On the playground, they're like, what? (laughs) Mommy, you see this? (laughs) They don't do it because it's cool. Listen, they pacify themselves because they choose to. Now, granted, bad parenting is involved here. I mean... What they ought to do is just one day throw away all the binkies. There are no, there are no binkies. No more pacifiers. Okay, but then, that, then my illustration breaks down, so we can't point that direction. What I'm saying is, is that people, people do the same thing. Listen to me. Many of us in this room are stuck in immaturity because we would rather pacify ourselves than crucify ourselves. That's what we, we would rather pacify ourselves in ministry, coddle ourselves, pat ourselves on the back, say we're doing a good job. We would rather do that than die. But guess what? Spiritual growth, it requires dying. This walk, being a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't, is not peaches and cream. Every single one of the apostles gave their lives for the work. Why should that be any different for us? Why should we assume that it's any different for us? If you want to understand that perpetual immaturity is rooted, or I mean, sorry, you need to understand that, that perpetual immaturity is rooted in pride, sin, and selfish thinking. See, there are certain things that keep folks in Kaya suspended in spiritual childhood. Okay, so look, I'm not one to often meddle in my preaching. Okay, I know I'm already pushing the buttons. Since we're here in the elevator, I'm going to push all of them. <laughs> okay? So bear with me. I want you to, let's just be reminded. I can't love you any more than I already do. I mean, Christ will show me. But I, I would give my life for any person in here. I want you to know that. Okay? So listen to me. I'm saying this with love and a desire to reach the world for Christ. Okay? So hear my heart. But listen to me, Kaya. There are things that keep us suspended. You know, we have people in our ministry that want to disciple and invest in other people but refuse to tithe. So you're telling me you want me to let you sit down with an immature believer, a babe, and and teach the giving and offerings lesson? And yet you've chosen not to give of the first fruits of the things that God has given you? I, I can't do that. I can't do that. See, discipling is for people who choose spiritual maturity. Here's another one. People, man, guys, this is a room with a large contingent of single people who want spouses. They want to be married. 
But how is God supposed to give you a spouse if you're stuck in that porn addiction? When your purity is compromised, and you and I both know that when God gives you a woman or a husband, that they're not really the only one. You're not, it's not going to be a monogamous relationship because you've got, you've got treats on the side. It keeps you suspended. It keeps you stuck. People want to say that they want to grow and they want to lead in ministry. But every other month, I've got to ask myself, where is so-and-so? I don't see them this week. Man, I wonder where they're at. I didn't see them last week either. Oh, it's another vacation. Okay. That's cool. They're out of town again or whatever. Okay. It's cool. But how am, I, how am I as a leader supposed to say, hey, here, I want to entrust you with souls. How am I supposed to do that if you don't even want to come to church? Or you find a reason to get up in the middle of service and go busy yourself with something else in the building and then you come back at the end to socialize. How am I... Are you hearing hearing me here? This is tough for me. This is tough stuff for me to talk about. Okay? But I've got... I want to call us to more. No matter how bad you want steak, no matter how bad you want it, If your life demands milk, milk is what you get. So then the question is, well, how do I recognize whether or not I fall into that category? Well, first of all, if I pushed your button, there's that. But the passage itself actually actually helps us here. How do I recognize whether or not I fall into that category of, of spiritual immaturity? And we all have a hard time seeing our immaturities. We do, don't we? I mean, I know I do. There's there's immaturities that I have that I have a hard time seeing. But luckily, I have a faithful wife. Between her and the Holy Spirit, I often discover. <laughs> but listen, there are, there are evidences of spiritual immaturity. And Paul points them out here. So listen to me. This is what he says. Verse 3. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, are ye not carnal? So here's the key point. Conflict always follows spiritually immature people. It always does. Conflict. Drama. Drama. So the signs of immaturity are you're constantly disappointed in other people in ministry. Is that you? I mean, you, you constantly feel disappointed in other people in ministry? I mean, we're all here knowing we're flawed, shameful, we're unqualified people, we're all, but you're mad, you're mad, because so-and-so did such-and-such, and, such and, and every other month you've got some squabble about how you're frustrated because someone didn't do the thing you expected them to do. You're constantly offended by the preaching, like today. People are going to be like, Aah. Why do I keep going back to that place? You know. You're constantly offended, offended at preaching. Every other week you discover another problem with your Bible study leader. You're regularly finding reasons to not attend or skip or whatever. Wherever you go, there seems to be some form of conflict, even if that conflict is just in your heart. Like, man, something's just not right. Why am I so upset? Why am I so angry? Why, Why are my emotions out of control? 
man, when I got up this morning, I was okay, but now, now I'm at work, and I'm angry, I'm frustrated, or I'm at church, and I don't even want to be here. Why, Tuesday night again, and do I need to actually go to the meal to hang out with people? Do I have to see people again? Man, I know I need to talk, I need to have that, converse, that hard conversation with so-and-so. Man, I just want to avoid that so bad, and, and blah, 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 and we just, all of these things, these are envying and strife and, and conflict, these things, malice, these things keep us, uh, these are the evidences of the fact that we're spiritually immature. Okay. In my home, one of the signs of immaturity in my children is the, is the fact that when I ask them to do something, okay, they say, but, but dad, and they've got excuses. They've got some sort of reasoning. They want to reason or rationalize with me. They want to sit down as though we're peers and like, tell me about that. Tell me about how you're feeling about that. I'd like to hear all about it. Why you can't clean your room again. Okay? And it's a sign of their immaturity. See, their noncompliance will hold them back from freedom in our family. And your noncompliance and your inability to actually submit to authority and follow along and trust the word. And, and when you get biblical counsel, say, yeah, that makes sense. I see that in God's word. I'm going to follow what that's saying. Or, or yes, I'm going to entrust myself to the process of discipleship. No, your noncompliance keeps you suspended. It keeps you stuck. But listen, we're little children. And from time to time, every single one of us in this room becomes belligerent. Unwilling, justified, disagreeable, you know? And this is all selfishness coming out in us. But the good news is that there is a dynamic for spiritual growth, principled for us in this passage and throughout the whole of Scripture. So 1 Corinthians 14.20 says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in, in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. So here's the key, key point. Key point number what, four? Are we on four? I stopped numbering them for some reason. Gosh. The path of growth is paved with virtue. The path of growth is paved with virtue. So the only way a person can mature is by obeying the truth of God's word without malice, without strife, without division, without pride, without complaint, one must have virtue. Okay, so here's the deal with virtue. All right, it's a very simple definition. Very easy to understand. It's a word that we don't use a lot, and we, we use it differently in, in our culture today. We use virtue for a lot of different, in a lot of different contexts. But biblically, this is what virtue means. Okay? Virtue is a type of faith that is faithful. Okay, this is what I mean. Is that it's one thing to, in your mind and heart, put your faith in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Son of God. I believe he saved me from my sins. I repent of my sins. This is an idea. This is a concept. You can spend time in God's word, and you can gain concepts. But it's a whole other matter to be faithful to those concepts in your actions, deeds, and behavior. It's a whole different thing to meditate them so that they begin to transform your life. And so that is why we have to understand that the path of growth is paved with virtue, and that is a faithful kind of faith, a trustworthy type of faith, an active type of faith. 2 Peter 1.5 says this, And beside this, giving all diligence, 
Add to your faith virtue. And what's painted here for us is a picture, right? Is a picture of how our development will take place. So you have faith. Yeah, a lot of people in the room today have faith in Jesus Christ. But now it's time to be faithful. Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, then knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. This is spiritual maturity. This is the path. And the point A to point B is everything here. Because we can't talk about charity and we can't talk about brotherly kindness and we can't talk about knowledge unless we first decided that our faith will become faithful. That we will say yes when God calls us out. That we will step up and do the hard work. That we will make a sacrifice of our life. That we'll stop pacifying ourselves in the pews. And that we would begin to move out and to step out in faith and say, yes, I want to grow. Yes, I want to let go of these things that are holding me back. The impetus for spiritual growth is a faith that becomes virtuous, a faith that is willing to sincerely obey the simple things that have been invested in them. You've been invested in. Sunday after Sunday, you've been invested in. In Bible study, you've been invested in. In discipleship, you've been invested in. The fact that you say no, that's on you. If our lives are going to amount to anything, we are going to have to live out the purposes that Christ has extended us. If we're going to be stewards of wisdom, then we must choose to crucify our flesh and say yes to simple but hard things. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus is is teaching and instructing And he's talking about this issue of virtue as it applies to growth and responsibility in the work of the ministry. And it applies to the body of Christ. So I want to read it real quick. It says this, And I say unto you, Make to yourself friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, in the simple physical things of this world, okay, like attending and being on time and, 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 and doing your lesson for discipleship and, and not making excuses, if you can't be responsible with those simple physical things, yes, I will get baptized, Because I recognize that the Bible asks me to. I'll do that. That's a simple thing I can do. That's a first step of obedience. I can do that. Yes, I can tithe. It's a a very simple principle. I see it through the entirety of Scripture. I can do that. I can step up. I can do these simple things. Listen, if you can't do the simple things, then how is God going to entrust you with the deepest things? How is God ever going to give you oversight of the flock that he loves and gave his life for? 
How can he entrust a people who are belligerent? How can he do that? If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who, sh- who will commit to you the trust of the true riches? If ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. So the question today is, have you been carnal? Are there things like self-focused reasons why you can't step out and say yes? When you look at your life and you're like, why do I feel stuck? It's because you're stuck. And you're thinking about you way too much. And you need to get your eyes off of you. You need to get them on the book. And you need to get them on the flock of God. And you see, my life is less than. And I want to be responsible with simple things. And as I'm responsible to simple things, I'll be responsible for more things. And I want to walk in the path in the gifting that God's given me, in the dynamic that he's given me, in the faithfulness that he's given me, in the grace that he's... I want to walk in the path and I want to move forward in faith and I'm done making excuses why I can't. That's the key to spiritual growth. That is the key to a healthy lifestyle in Christ. And listen, I want to tell you, if you can't do that here at Midtown, please find a church that you can. No one's mad. But don't waste your life. Don't, don't spin your wheels. Before you can enter the path of growth, you have to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Before you can grow spiritually, before you can follow him and be a follower, you have to first put your faith in him and decide that he is the Savior of your life. He is your Lord. He is your Master. And you're going to give everything of yourself to follow him, that, his, that your life belongs to him. And you need to repent of your sin. You simply need to say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm worthless. I have nothing to offer, but, but I love you. Will you forgive me of my sin? It's a simple decision. It's, a, it, it's the first act of faith. If you've never done that, then you can't become a follower of Christ. You can't enter the path. You can't follow after Jesus with everything you have. You just can't do it. And so what we're going to ask of you today is is a tough question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you don't, would you be bold enough to step up and meet with a counselor after we finish in worship or during our worship set? There's going to be leaders that are standing up here, and they're also going to be standing in the back. They're the ones holding the Bibles. If If you don't know that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you don't know that he's your Savior, if you don't know where you're going when you die, then I want to beg you, the very first thing you need to do is you need to enter the path by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to put your faith in him. But there's some of us today that need to be, we need to be found faithful. A, faith, a faithful man who can find is what scripture says, that they're, they're very rare. Faithful people are very rare. And what I'm asking for the bulk of this room today is that you would be found faithful, that you would choose to go from faith to faithfulness by saying yes to things that you've been saying no to, and by putting away your excuses, 
and by ceasing to pacify yourself with the world and selfish thinking. Put those things to rest and put your faith in Christ and move forward. Say yes to something for once. Quit having excuses. Worship team, will you come up? I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And uh, we're thankful for your word. I'm thankful, Lord, that you, Lord, help me survive what's really a a tough passage to preach. And Lord, you know my heart uh, for this room and for these people. Lord, they're your people. And so, Lord, I, I, I can't, at the end of the day, I have to say to you, I can't assume anything. I don't I don't know the hearts and minds of every person in this room, and, and I don't love them the way that you do. And, and so, Lord, I'm asking that you would do your thing, that you would work, that you would speak, that you would prick hearts, that you would move people, and you would make people bold enough to come forward if they need help, that they would, that they would seek help, that they would get prayer, that they would, they would ask hard questions, and, Lord, that you would have your way with them, that you would teach them the way of faith. Lord, help us to receive your grace, to receive your forgiveness. And then from there, Lord, follow you with everything we have. We need you. Work in us. Amen. If you know you need help, if you know you need someone to pray with, if you're unsure about your salvation or you're unsure about how to move forward, come meet with someone right now. Love you guys. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.